be one of the roof monkeys, <laughs> which is too bad. Um, I um, A roof monkey is somebody that runs around and they kind of hold on by their tail, you know, and they're doing stuff. And so there were a couple of people that were doing that. Thanks, Murdon. He's hiding from me. But they were, they were all over there on the roof and... Um, uh, it just, I just appreciate all of the help that we had, and, and the, the house looks great. About two-thirds of the way through worship, I just started laughing this morning because I noticed that we have you know, Christmas stockings hanging on their fake fireplace in front of a fake dog, in front of a fake fire. Get this, that the candles are remote-controlled, okay? I mean, <laughs> did I just let the cat out of the bag, or so, so to speak? Anyway, I'm, I'm really grateful for the... Um, because if it was up to me how to decorate this place, there'd be like stacks of torque wrenches and stuff like that. There wouldn't be anything cool and shiny and round. And so I'm grateful for the, the, the touch that the women bring here. And um, I, um, <laughs> I'm also, um, also uh, want to just kind of thank you for those comments, sharing about your wife and so forth. The, w- women, the women's uh, Bible study... I think it produces way more than the actual study itself, the relationship, the building between the women. And so, ladies, um, it's, it's January. That's why we're talking to you now. We know you're going to be busy, really busy for the next month. But plan ahead. And, and plan. And so I think this is probably the last women's Bible study that we'll be doing this school year. So if you don't get in on this one, the next one will be in the fall, I think. Is that accurate? Okay, so ladies, um, make sure that, um, that you, if, if you need a friend, get in the Bible study. If you're lonely, get in the Bible study. If you like food, <laughs> get in the Bible study. Because I figure the, the more good cooks that show up for Bible study, the more I get because I kind of hang out during the Bible study. And they bring me these, you know, these offerings sometimes um, or something. I don't know what they are, but it's good food. So ladies, today's uh, the 2nd of, of December. So we're going to just make a pass through uh, Proverbs chapter 2. And I picked verse 11 for us today. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Well, that's a great promise from the Lord. Discretion will protect you. Understanding will guard you. Uh, Today I start a new series. And uh, this is Christmas season. So what's better than Christmas carols to to inspire them? And so we're going to do a series um, now that are going to come from different Christmas carols. And I get to pick Christmas carols. And I have an absolute favorite Christmas carol. And so I picked my favorite to go first, which is Oh Holy Night. I don't know how you feel about Oh Holy Night, but I love that song. Um, Sometimes I've got this really vivid imagination. My wife, my mother sometimes tell me I think too much. And so here's something I've never mentioned to them about Oh Holy Night. Now, I know that when you die, you're, you know, you're you're, to to, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You're gone. And, and, And so like in the grave, you can't hear what's going on around you, right? You understand that? But I imagine, as this little boy imagination goes, that, you know, well, if I was in, you know, some place where I could hear what was going on around me and I had to hear something, I would want Oh Holy Night playing all the time. I would never get tired of it from now until eternity. That's weird, isn't it? (laughs) So discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Anyway, so I collect. What do you call? I mean, I, I collect. I collect Oh Holy Night. How do you do that, Terry? Well, I have, you know, MP3s. Right now my collection is at 67. I have 67 different recorded versions of O Holy Night. Now, that sounds redundant. 
But listen, when you, if, you, if you just start this playlist I got going, it goes for like five hours of Oh Holy Night. And I'm not kidding you. You start pretty soon, it goes in the background, and you're just enjoying it. But it doesn't sound like the same song over and over. Every time, it just does something new in me. Anyway, I, I collect those. And so you laugh at me, but what do you collect? I know you collect stuff. You do. Come on. You do. People collect the weirdest things. I mean, I have family members, and I know what they collect, so I'm not going to out them. But um, I, I've found some interesting things on the Internet that people collect. There's one woman who collects soap, and she's got over 5,000 bars of soap. And she's happy about having all that soap. There's somebody who collects toasters. Yeah, over 600 kinds of toasters. <laughs> Or, you know, I suppose you collect torque wrenches or something, right? So I mention torque wrenches every once in a while. I don't know if anybody that collects those, but... Anyway, I've been picking up versions of uh, Oh Holy Night for a really long time. And, um, you know, after today's message, I'm going to actually have one more because pretty soon there's going to be another one for me to stick in my collection. Thank you to um, Eric and to the worship team. And um, this is completely impromptu, but you're going to play, Chad, right? In the, uh, in the song that we do, Oh Holy Night. So there's going to be some violin, a little bit of violin. It's mostly, oh, is it? But do you know any of the melody for Oh Holy Night? Could you like just kind of impromptu, like just, just give me a little tiny short bit of Oh Holy Night? especially for the fact that it was impromptu and with such um, it was majesty. It just was really wonderful. Thank you for that. You actually repeated history, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. But um, um, wow, I just love that song and that instrument. Thank you for that. Uh, you know, there's, I'm going to give you a little bit of context in history about the song itself. It was written in the, in the 1800s, and it was actually taken, the text was kind of taken from Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story, which you, know, you ought to read it sometime this month. We will here too as well. But the story is that there was this French parish priest who wanted to, to, uh, to uh, teach from Luke chapter 2. And so he asked a guy he knew, whose name was Placide Capot, a French guy, um, to write a poem from Luke chapter 2. Now here's something interesting about Placide Capot. He, he wasn't a Christian, but he was a very good poet. So he wrote this poem. And um, now Placide wasn't a musician, but he had a friend who also was not a Christian. He said, hey, I've written this poem. Could you put a melody together that would work with the poem? And so we ended up with this song. And um, the song became very, very popular. In fact, it became so popular that the churches, the, the Catholic churches of the time, which was the main church, uh, they were all singing it. It became very, very, very popular. And after a few years, it was just like overrunning the churches. It was popular until the leaders of the church found out where it came from. Non-Christians had written this song. Oh, we can't sing that song. And they tried to stop it, but they couldn't. And I kind of chuckle about that because there is that pharisaical um, attitude present. It's always going to be present in the church. It's such a heartbreak until the day Jesus comes. It will be present. But, but, but you know, I don't care who wrote it. Let me back up. I don't care who penned it, because I know who wrote it. And it was the spirit of the living God who can work through whatever instrument he chooses. 
It's such an inspired song. And uh, five, about five decades later, here's the part where, where you come in, Chad. It was on Christmas Eve in 1906. There was this guy named Reginald Fessenden. And um, he, was a, he was a really intelligent man. At one point, he had been an employee of Thomas Edison. He was an inventor, really, really smart guy. And he put together a bunch of equipment um, that he had, and he built himself a, a radio transmitter. And uh, he was the first guy to use this kind of radio transmission. And uh, we know it as AM radio. And he put together this radio equipment and made this radio broadcast. And for the very first time in our history, a song was transmitted over radio wave. And you'll never guess what song it was. It was Oh Holy Night. And Fessenden played the song on his violin. First time a song was ever played over the radio. Oh Holy Night, same as you just did. Probably not as good as you just did. But um, it... <laughs> and so... Um, and then he read... Uh, Capo, or excuse me, uh, Fessenden read from Luke chapter 2 these words. Glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. We want you just to stay seated for the next couple of minutes, and you don't have to stand up and sing the words. This is about you absorbing and letting the Holy Spirit speak to you. So here is our version of O Holy Night. stars are brightly shining it is the night of our dear Savior's birth long lay the world in sin and error pining till he and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn.
what that night would have been like, you know, to be there on that holy night. You know, I think, you know, one of the things people do today is they collect or maybe they display nativities because it, it um, you know, it's a way to remember, to look back on, to be closer to the majesty that was happening on that night. You had the baby Jesus and, of course, the Virgin Mary and Joseph and cattle are lowing, whatever that means. And we have this emotional draw to something that was really majestic and holy that happened one night. And, uh, but honestly, I think that manger scene, um, you know, the nativity, as meaningful as that can be to us, I think it actually sometimes can do a little bit of a disservice to us in understanding what that night was like. Because, you know, here's the reality. The reality is we've got a teenage girl who's pregnant and uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit, hard to explain to people that don't have faith in God and uh, hard to explain to people that do have faith in God. And she's likely with her, uh, her, her, well, she's with her fiance, who is likely also a teenager, maybe, maybe not, don't really know his age. And they traveled donkey back. Okay, she's nine months pregnant, and they traveled somewhere between 80 and 120 miles on a donkey's back. Okay? Sound good so far, ladies? Is that like your trip to the hospital? I mean, I think about when um, Lisa was ready to give birth to our first um, son, Ben, and uh, we had about five miles to go, and I had 300 horses pulling us inside. (laughs) 
of a 1970 Chevrolet Impala with a uh, burgundy red with a black vinyl top and heat. Um, and, um, <laughs> and so we had a little different experience. But imagine that 100 miles on the back of a donkey. Imagine half a mile on the back of a donkey. And so after that, they finally get to town and every hotel... No vacancy. There's no room. You can't even stay in the janitor's closet. We have no place for you. No place to stay. Most scholars think um, that um, she ended up in something that was like a cave. Um, The manger was actually a cave. And it was kind of a cave-like spot or a shelter where animals would go and get, get themselves out of the bad weather. And so she's giving birth in this really tough physical environment. I mean, it's dirty. It's unsterile. There are no doctors. There's just, it's just not too good. Now, I, as, at the time that we gave birth to Ben, we gave birth, to, that's liberal. At the time that we went to the hospital together and my wife gave birth to our son, Ben, we had, uh, we had the opportunity. They had this birthing room. You know, they had delivery rooms, and they had one birthing room. And if you happened to get there to use the, to, to deliver your child, and it was available, well, you could take it. And it was a bigger room, and it had a rocking chair and dim lights, and they played music. Other than that, it was a double-sized ho- hospital room, right? And so we get there, and, um, you know, there's music playing, and I got a rocking chair, and it's comfortable. And they brought beverages if we were thirsty and medications if we needed them and they came and they went and they doted over us and they used fetal monitors and constant care. I mean, our picture of birth, as challenging as it can be, ladies and men, is completely different than what this teenage girl was facing in that cave. And uh, I, I just, uh, the contrast there, for us, you know, we were there and Ben's birth was kind of a challenge. We were there for a couple of days of labor. It was hard for my wife especially, but it was really difficult. And, um, um, you know, we would have this machine hooked up to her and it would tell us his heartbeat and all the stuff that was going on. And this was 30 years ago. You know, really high-tech stuff back then. And after going through this for a couple of days and watching out the window, they raised the flag and lowered the flag and raised the flag and lowered. They were still in this birthing room and no child yet and all of the wires coming out and I'm watching them and I'm just, I've read just enough to be dangerous to make my own diagnosis about what's going on. And I remember finally getting to the point uh, after two days, I just was, you know, this is my wife we're talking about. This is my child we're talking about. And I'm looking at the, I'm now reading the strips coming off the machine. And I'm thinking, wait a second, this doesn't look right to me. And I don't even know the trade. So I started rattling some cages, you know, getting the nurses in there. You need to look at this. This is not right. This has been too long. You got to do something. I probably was getting a little, you know, crusty around the edges because I hadn't slept for a couple of days. And I was emotionally not objective. And, um, they took attention to what I was saying and they brought in the head of obstetrics and they said, oh yeah, yeah, we got to do something. They started calling doctors in and at two in the morning they scheduled an immediate C-section. So in the middle of the night after a couple of days, um, we had a baby and I thought I was somewhat of a hero because of what I had done to make things happen, you know. 
So they come in and they do all this stuff, and I go into the surgical room, and uh, what an amazing thing. And about an hour later, I was handed a son. Uh, by any account, a miracle, I'm handed a son. Now, I've got two, two morals to this story. That first, the first moral of the story is that was the closest moment to God I've ever had in my life. To be handed a son or a daughter, an amazing, amazing moment. The second thing is that Lisa is the real hero of that story, <laughs> not, not me. And um, even I think about our careful, controlled environment where there was all this chaos and uh, not really panic, but emergencies and difficulties. Think of all that stuff that's going on in that cloistered, safe environment we had. That's the night that this teenage girl is in a cave. That's what's going on that night. This little girl is giving birth to the Son of God. And um, I'm, as we go through this series, I'm just going to pick some phrases out of some of these songs uh, that I've chosen, and they might be unlikely to you. But I pray that in the future, when you hear these songs play, or you might be in a worship service somewhere and you might sing it, that something will happen and the Holy Spirit will get in there and uh, he will remind you of some of his promises to you. And so that's where we're going to go today. So, so I want to start out with the first phrase from this song and uh, where, the, where the song says this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. Everybody say weary world, weary world. Okay. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If there is a word to describe our world today, weary is a really good one. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I mean, things can be overwhelming. There's going to be a lot of anxiety out there. The economy's kind of nuts. There's, you know, relationships are messed up. People that we know have serious illnesses. Families are struggling. It's like we're fighting just to kind of sometimes stay above water. And I believe that's a phrase that a lot of people can relate to, the weary world. But what I love about this song is that it goes on to say that there's a thrill of hope. The world is weary. Imagine in the chaos of this night for this girl, there's a thrill of hope that maybe, I mean, this is among a group of people who'd been believing for centuries that God was going to show up in some unexpected way, that one day the Messiah would be born, that on that one day, everything would be different forever and ever. And you hear some faith now proclaiming those words. There's a thrill of hope. And suddenly the weary world rejoices. I pray that for you, that if there is a weary world, if that's what's your deal, that you're going to experience a thrill of hope too. And uh, inside your very weary world that you'll find the faith to rejoice. Because even in the chaos of the night, there's a new and glorious morn. And it's coming. And then in the future, as you, you know, live life, you shouldn't only just think about that oh holy night and the challenges of your moment, but that your focus is going to include now the next day when the sun comes up. Because a Savior has been born on that new and glorious morn. Now everything is different because a day with Christ can change everything. A day with Christ can change everything. So um, I want to focus for a couple of minutes on a, gl- a new and glorious morn. And uh, we're going to kind of dip into a book out of the Old Testament. You probably don't camp out in too much. It's called Lamentations. It was uh, written in about 586 B.C. Jerusalem had fallen to attacking people. The people are now are distraught. 
And the prophet Jeremiah is lamenting. He's whining. He's hurting along with all the people. And he's pouring his heart out to God. And in chapter 3, we're going to see a switch happen in his heart as he moves from his mourning to this moment of faith. And I love this verse. So uh, we're going to start out in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 20. Where, he, where, where, Jeremiah, where Jeremiah says, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Now, he's not in, a, in denial. He's acknowledging that there's some real setbacks. Verse 21, yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. I'm going to call this to my mind. It isn't there right now, but I'm going to call it up and say, get right there in the front of my mind. I'm going to put some focus in. Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sound like another song. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's amazing what a new day with Christ can bring. And from this, con, uh, the, the, from this uh, text, I wanna, I, I, there are three truths that can bring a thrill of hope in our weary world. <laughs> weary world is it, it rejoices. A new day with Christ can bring, number one, exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Notice that I didn't say what you want. I said what you need because there's a difference. Lamentations 3 verse 24 says this. I say to myself, how many times do you, you probably know this, that every now and then you just have to talk to yourself. You do. You just have to preach to yourself some truth. That's something that we have to do sometimes. It's kind of like gathering manna. You just have to preach the truth to yourself sometimes. And so you open up God's word and maybe read it to yourself. And then you declare to yourself the truth that's in there. So he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion. I, I wonder what that means. I mean, it's can mean lots of different things. I think a lot of scholars believe, and I tend to agree with them, that this is referencing back to when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And uh, God would provide for them their daily portion. It's called manna. And uh, he would provide, it was a miraculous thing. It appeared in the morning like dew. And uh, it was this sweet bread, sweet, and sweet kind of like a honey bread kind of a deal. Sound good? If you haven't had breakfast, should I keep going? And, um, you know, it would be just exactly enough for the day. They were to go out and gather just enough for today. If they tried to gather a whole bunch and hoard it for tomorrow, they could do that. Eat today's portion and go for tomorrow's, which is in the bowl. The word says that there would be worms in it. It would be rotten the next morning. Except for the day before the Sabbath, they could collect two days worth. And for some reason that day, tomorrow's portion would be just as fresh the next morning as what they normally got the day they collected it. Wow. Wow. God's at work here. And um, I think God was trying to teach them that they need him every single day. That's a great lesson. Um, and, and then Jesus, he taught us to pray, you know, give us this day our daily bread. And, and that's because God, I need you every single day. And today as we received communion and, and Eric pastored us through those, those words, said, Lord, this is daily bread to us. Please be our daily bread. I, I just so agree, agree with that. And so Jeremiah says, you know, I call this to mind because the Lord, Lord, you're my portion. You're exactly what I need. And the good news about all that is that God is in your tomorrows too. There's a translation 
He has not only what I need for today, but he has exactly what I need for tomorrow. Exactly whatever tomorrow happens to bring to me. I don't know what it'll be. I know somebody who's going in for surgery tomorrow, and he's going to find out whether he has a tumor or whether he has a cancer. And he'll find that out tomorrow. Whatever it brings, the Lord will be there for this friend of mine who I hold before you, Lord, right now in prayer. And I ask for a good report and for healing for him in the name of Jesus. And um, he has exactly what you need for tomorrow, whatever it brings. If your marriage is struggling, what I hope that you will understand is that God is already in your tomorrow waiting for you. And he has what your marriage needs. He has what your marriage needs. He's going to be right there. If you're weak today, Scripture tells you that God's already in, in your tomorrow and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you're down, if you're depressed today, he's already in your tomorrow and the word says he is the joy and the lifter of your head. A new day with Christ brings exactly, exactly what you need. And what we need is the presence of God. We need his reality. We need his strength. We need his power. We need his mercy. We need his goodness. I say to, the, to myself, Lord, you are my portion. You are my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. A new day with Christ brings us exactly what we need. And the second thing, that it, it, the second point is the hope. The Lord, a, a day with Christ brings us the hope we need to keep going. A new day with Christ brings us the hope we need to keep going It's the thrill of hope in a weary world. It's the thrill of hope when all we see is darkness. It's the belief that there's a new morning coming when we're in the chaos of the night, when we're in the cave and there's no medical and all of that stuff going on. Verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. And I really believe that too many people today are trying to survive with a very hope-deprived life. That's scary, a hope-deprived life. They're trying to survive. They're struggling to find places to put their hope, and they're putting their hope in the wrong places. It's like, you know, there are lots of wrong places to put your hope. It's okay to put investments in places like the stock market, but if you put your hope there, I mean... I don't know what happened to you in the last 10 years. If you had any money at all in the stock market, if you had a 401k or a retirement program, or if you're fortunate to have something like that, I mean, it's not a very good place to put your hope. You can put your hope in your company. You might get let down. You can put your hope in another person, and they may let you down. You can put your hope in an outcome that you need, and you might be disappointed that you don't get what you thought you should. It's risky putting our hope in the wrong places. And then the problem is that when we put our hope in the wrong places, we start to become hopeless. We start to become a weary world. We start to begin to wonder if there's anything good because our hope is in the wrong place. And you can never, ever keep anything you can't hold. So you have to hold on to something or someone that won't let go of you. Hold on to something that won't let go of you. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 23 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. I love that picture. Hold on to that. Grab a hold. Those of you that are Christians, grab a hold of the hope that we profess. 
And don't ever let go. Don't ever let go because he's faithful. And the challenge, is, the challenge today is that too many of us are letting go of the hope we profess. And we're grabbing on to fear. And we grab on to anxiety. And we're grabbing on to the darkness of the night. We're letting go of the truth of God. And we're hanging on to the lies that the evil one tells us. That happens way too often. We need to do the exact opposite. We need to let go of the fear. We need to let go of the anxiety. Let go. Let go of it. (laughs) Step out of it. Hold on to the hope that we professed. Hang on to the promises of God. Don't ever, ever lose hope in what a new day with Christ can bring. Don't ever lose hope. I have a friend, a, a, a story of a friend who lost hope. And um, this is going to be a hard story for me to tell, even though it's 30 years fresh for us. Lisa and I had this couple who we were very close to, Christian couple. And they were, had been Christians longer than we had, and um, they were more mature, and they taught us a lot. They taught us things. And something happened to this friend um, I don't think if I said their first names, anybody here would know who they were. You think it's safe? Because it'll help me tell the story. Is it safe, honey? Because this couple is from 30 years, more than 30 years in our past, is, is a guy named Chris and a woman named Crystal. And um, if you know who they are, please forget that. I don't think you will, but I want to tell the story. And I don't know what happened, but something was a weary world for Chris. And uh, he just kind of started acting a little irrational at some point, at one point. And uh, one of the things he did that just kind of put us back on our pins was he announced one day to us and to his wife that he had enlisted in the army. He didn't talk to her. He just said, hey, honey, I joined up. I'm heading off to basic. I'm going off in the army. Nothing wrong with being in the army. But once you're married, that's a one flesh decision. And he just decided. He had lost hope. He didn't say it in those words, but I'm going a different direction with my life. I'm still going to be married to you, but I'm going to be over there being in the army and off he headed across the country. And I just watched this, this marriage start to cave in and, and uh, we didn't understand it. We were heartbroken. We were heartbroken. I, I just didn't understand this. And um, whatever was itching, that didn't scratch it for him. And um, a little bit of time went by, and I'm going to compress this because the story would be way too long. One night he took his life. There wasn't any note. We don't know why. We, we don't know what happened. We just know he was gone. And his bride was just fractured. And... Um, the thing about all that 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 really I struggle with more than just him being gone and the difficulty of that decision. Um, he had given up hope somewhere along the line and then I watched her life crater. We lost contact. She just went off a different direction and the next time we saw her was a number of years later. Lisa and I were doing something really important. We were at 64 Funny Cars. (laughs) And um, that was a racing event that used to happen around here. It was pretty pick and cool. And so we were up at 64 Funny Cars, and the place was jammed full of people. 
crowded. And Lisa and I are on the back side of the track and we're walking between passes and we're trying to get back to our seats. I don't remember what we were doing. And out of this crowd, all of a sudden, we came this close face to face with Crystal. She turned face to face right like that in front of me. And I looked at her eyes and I could see in that moment she was stoned out of her mind. She didn't even know who we were. Um, she'd let go of her hope. She didn't even know us. And um, it was only a couple of years later, a drug overdose took her. If I just look back, and I, I don't know what was going on in Chris's heart when this thing started, but I just think, if he could have just made it through one more night held on until that next day. Whatever it was, was, you know, was it disappointment? Was it fear? Was it, if he could have just held on to the next day and seen the risen sun come up in his life, I, I, just, I just know that the Spirit had work to do there. And he'd given up hope. Don't lose hope. I'm just asking you, don't lose hope. Hold on to the hope that we profess. And I, I know I probably should move on, but I feel like I want to stay right here for just a minute because I think there's somebody here that needs to hear these things. Don't let go of the hope. Don't give up. Don't surrender. And I understand that it might be dark for a while, but there's a new day coming. There is a new day coming, and it's amazing what a new day in Christ can bring. Don't give up. There's a weary world, yes. But in that weariness, there's a thrill of hope. And the very weary world can rejoice because there's a new day coming. And a new day with Christ can change everything. Everything. A new day with Christ brings us exactly what we need, the hope to keep going. And the third thing that it brings us is the help that you're seeking. A new day with Christ brings us the help that you're seeking. Lamentations 3, verse 26 says this. It's good to wait. Sometimes you just have to wait, right? <laughs> Sometimes It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Some people here, maybe in the room, or maybe some people listening to the message, need the salvation of your souls. You need to be saved and forgiven by God. Some of us are already forgiven, and we need to be saved out of some difficult situation. Never lose sight of this thought. It's amazing. It's unbelievable what one day with Christ can bring. You know, Lazarus had been dead for days. Four days. The King James Version said he stinketh. Everybody's pretty much given up hope. And then on one special day, Jesus shows up and says, Hey, Lazarus, come here. <laughs> kind of, that's what he said, right? Hey, Laz, come here, come here. Lazarus would say to you, it's amazing what one day with Christ can do. There was a woman who'd had this um, issue of blood for 12 years. And imagine that, the humiliation of that. It made her ceremonially unclean. There was, so she couldn't keep it a secret. It was humiliating, disappointment day after day. And she's thinking, is this, is this ever going to end? Then one day, she grabs the hem of a garment 
and she's healed. The hem of Jesus' garment. And she would tell you, it's amazing what a day with Jesus can do in your life. And there was this guy who had, had been lame for 39 years. He's hanging out at this place called the Pool of Bethsaida. And then one day, Jesus walks by and says, hey, you don't need that anymore. Pick up that mat. You can walk. And the guy gets up and walks. And that guy would tell you, it's amazing what can happen in one day with Jesus Christ. And some of you need to hear this. You're in a weary world right now. And there's a thrill of hope that will make your weary world rejoice because there's a new and glorious morn that's coming. You might look at your marriage and think, you know, it's never going to be what it should be. Uh Uh-uh. It's amazing what one day with Christ can do. Some of you maybe are sick today or somebody you know is sick and God is able to heal and whether he heals or not or whether he heals the way you think he should or not, it doesn't matter. It's amazing what the presence of God can do one day with Christ. Some of you are in the night. Some of you are in chaos. The doctors are distracted and the cattle are lowing and you're in a weary world. You're reminded by this song and by his scripture that we have hope because Jesus was born. Jesus is here and you can have hope in the middle of your night. So a new day with Christ brings us one, exactly what we need. Two, the hope to keep going. Three, the help that you're seeking. Get this from Romans Chapter 13, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now listen, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. The darkness is nearly over because the sun will rise again. The darkness is nearly over because the Son of God will, is risen again. The darkness is nearly over because the Son of God, did you hear that? Is risen again. <laughs> and some of you are near, nearer to your salvation now than you were a day before. For some, that's the salvation of your soul. And some, that's salvation out of darkness. The day is coming. The night is over. The sun always rises again. There's a thrill of hope. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Let's pray. God, I ask for your spirit to minister to us, to all of us, every time we worship and hear this carol. Remind us, Lord, what a new day with you can bring, which is more than we can imagine. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak to us in a way that only you can do. Lord, Christmas can be the best of times. Sometimes it can be the worst of times. Our finances can be crazy. There can be sickness. We can be lonely. Many are in the darkness of the night, God, and you know their circumstances. Bring them the joy of the morning, I pray. You are our Redeemer. You are our Savior. Your Spirit, Lord, minister exactly what we need. Hope. Salvation out of a difficult situation. Your presence to sustain us. Thank you, Lord, for the ways you answer these prayers. Keep praying. Keep your eyes closed for a minute, would you, church? A non-Christian wrote this song. That tells us something. It tells us that we can know the story without knowing the Savior. And if you don't know the Lord, 
Maybe you've been looking for something and you don't even know what it is you're looking for, but you haven't been able to find anything that will settle your soul. The hope you need to hold on to is the Savior, the Son of God, the Christ of Christmas, the Lord Jesus. Scripture tells us in Acts that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've never called on the name of the Lord for salvation, you need to do it right this moment. Nobody knows what tomorrow will hold. Nobody knows what's, what's happening an hour from now. If you've never called on the name of Jesus for salvation, you need to do it. While we pray in privacy, I just ask you to consider if you've never opened your heart to the Lord, to call on his name right now. The way you do that is you just decide in your soul, yes, I will make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Scripture says you'll be forgiven your sins and you'll spend eternity in heaven if you make that decision. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. That is the only way. If you've never made that decision and you want to, I just encourage you to do that right this moment. Just right this moment, say, I need to get this Christmas right for only now, for all of the rest of my Christmases, for all of eternity. I need to have this right. I need right relationship with God. If you want to do that while people's eyes are closed, I just want to agree with you in prayer. Would you just look at me and give me a little quick wave and I'll agree with you, yes, for salvation. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Your sins are forgiven. Okay, if I don't see, if I haven't looked at you, God bless you. Your sins are forgiven too. Any others? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, I'm going to pray again, but while we're still got our eyes closed, I want to talk to those who opened their hearts. Um, I don't need you to join the church, and I'm not asking for your name, and I'll put you on a mailing list. But I've written you a letter, and um, I have a little simple scripture booklet to give you, a little part of the New Testament. And it's just all you have to do is ask me or one of the leaders, say, hey, where's that packet that Pastor Terry mentioned? And they'll give it to you. And uh, we just, so let me just pray now. Lord, thank you for the, for the eternal work you do in people's hearts. I ask God for you to help them daily with their walk. Help all of us with that, Lord. Lord, draw us closer to you. Make us more like you. Thank you that tomorrow's coming. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let you stand with us. Let's sing, O Holy Night.